Welcome, party people. This is the place to be. We're with Christian Hansen. Thanks, Kenny. Moss Adams. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Christian Hansen, a notable figure in cybersecurity, I think, to me, <laughs> a notable. Within this room, yes. Yeah, within this room, by far, <laughs> by far in the top four. <laughs> by four. top four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the four of us in the room, I am in the top four. No, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I love Christian. I have a lot of respect for him, worked with him in the past, and we're just delighted to have you, man. Thanks, Kenny. Thank you so much. Yeah, happy to be on. here. Yeah, so today we're going to dive into Christian's insights on cybersecurity trends, uh, his experience, and of course, our favorite, super amazing, most excellent topic, uh, the evolution of FedRAMP. It's super exciting. Our favorite F word, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. I say that one a lot. <laughs> FedRAMP, I say that a lot. <laughs> yes, you do. You've got the experience more than definitely, more than most people I know. Christian has the most experience there, so... Great. Okay, man. So Christian, why don't you why don't you start? I just want you to chart out, you know, what, what your path from being I know you did you were a data analyst way back in the day. So a lot of our listeners are looking for a way to carve into cyber. And so talk about like your path going from IT data analyst to now your partner at Moss Adams in Cyber. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I mean my career started out at KPMG. Um, in IT audit. We, I moved to Virginia and took a job out there um, doing a lot of Sarbanes-Oxley work, a little bit of SAS 70, what's now SOC 2, because yeah. um, that's how old I am. I did SAS 70s too. <laughs> Virginia, yeah. um, Raise his hand. And so, um, you know, kind of cut my teeth a little bit in public accounting, doing um, IT general control testing. Not a lot of like not really a lot of cyber stuff in there. Um, you don't really get into the weeds too far, but it's a good base level compliance. Yeah. Talk about that. Talk about that. Because I I find for me, I mean, sometimes I've gone deep into cyber, but for the most part, I'm always coming back to those basics. Yeah. So So, tell me a little bit about that. Right. um, So the basics, uh, there are common problems that everybody faces that are solved by fairly common process solutions. And um, for me, it's a lot of, um, if you understand the bait, like it's super cool if you want to drill down and talk about like a specific server vulnerability, like great, mm-hmm. that's interesting. But sure. if you give everyone in the system access, I don't really care <laughs> what your technical vulnerabilities are if your access management isn't tight. And so there's certain layers to the whole process that you really need to consider. <clears throat> and if you're not doing like really good basic stuff, getting into really weedy stuff is oftentimes superfluous. Well, there's, Almost. there's, um, there's probably bigger bang for your buck, starting with some of the more basic things. Um, and, and that, you know, I learned a lot of that in the Sarbanes world, the SAS 70 world. Um, and the other thing it gave me perspective on is kind of what is compliance versus what is security? Because there are big Venn diagrams that overlap, but they are different because they're good things. There are things you can do that are good security practice that will do nothing to help compliance initiatives. There are things you do in compliance initiatives that may not actually help your security, but you still need to do them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about in, in your words, right? Uh, what is compliance and what is security? Because they're, they're absolutely not the same thing. And sometimes I found, I don't know about your experience, but my experience is a lot of people will at their peril prioritize compliance over security. 
maybe not at there. It's not like super dangerous, but to me, sometimes that happens. Yeah. So compliance means that there's some standard you're trying to meet, right? Someone told you do something and you're trying to do that something that someone told you to do. So whether that's FedRAMP or the SOC report or PCI or High Trust or CSA STAR or there's a whole lot of other acronyms out there that are all compliance frameworks that are all approximately the same. They're all different, but they approximate in a lot of ways. Um, <clears throat> ISO 27000, there's tons of similarities. So compliance is driving you to meet a certain defined standard, whereas security is just like, don't get breached. Don't, yeah. lo don't lose your data somewhere you're not supposed to. Compliance should, if you do compliance right, it will drive good security practice. Um, but I do see opportunities in compliance frameworks where there could be better security practice. So the thing you have to understand is a compliance framework is being built to meet a certain objective. Sure. And they have to build a compliance framework so that sort of everyone can meet it and kind of hit some, some standard, whether it's a minimum standard or maximum standard, whatever. Right? There's different levels of, of how complex and how deep these things go. So compliance is trying to get you to a standard somewhere that some governing body said, this is what we want. Compliance is usually um, sales enablement. Yeah. Why am I going to do a SOC 2? Well, because I have a big name client that wants me to do it and they're not going to buy my stuff unless I do this thing. Great. Will your SOC 2 drive you to better security practices? It should, unless you're already doing all those things. Most people aren't if they're just at that in, that point in growth curve where they're being asked to do, um, do a SOC 2. So if you're selling B2B in the United States, um, you probably need a SOC report. If you're moving into Europe and Asia, you're going to need an ISO 27000 cert. The world is a little bit more fluid now where some things that those lines used to be more strictly drawn than they are now. Yeah. But if you're selling cloud services to the U.S. federal government, you're going to have to do FedRAMP. If you're handling um, health care data, EPHI or PHI, you're going to have to implement HIPAA and high trust is a good way to do that. You want to store, process, transmit cardholder data, you're going to need to do PCI. Um, so, so all of the, the way I look at compliance is compliance can help drive your security. It should help drive security to be better. Agreed. It's not everything you do in compliance will not always be the best security practice, but you still have to do them. Um, and compliance ultimately is, should be there to enable growth and sales by meeting some standard that then other people accept and then say, cool, I'm not going to ask you 7,000 questions in a spreadsheet. You can just give me a piece of paper or a PDF and I'll say, cool, I read your thing and I have two questions and we're done. Yeah. You said that um, uh, they kind of all approximate to kind of mostly the same thing and there's some nuance here and there depending on what it is. What why do you, where do you find the commonalities? Does it go, does it go back to like the ITGCs and then deep? I mean, it gets a little deeper, obviously. Yeah. Fedramp, yeah. I mean, there, there are general control aspects that, that are the same and, and conceptually everything is the same. Conceptually, everything says we have some kind of data that we want to protect mm -hmm. and here's how we think you should protect it. Get a third party to audit that thing that you do to protect the data so we can be comfortable that you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Give us a report. Sometimes you get certified, sometimes you don't. All some of the, there's nuance there in the processes. And then you just wash and rinse and now you're on repeat, right? So we keep auditing. But as far as like what are the common things like manage users? Don't give anybody access to stuff they don't need. Okay. Make sure that you do that access provisioning smartly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when you do software development, have a good process to make sure it works correctly. Like test your code before it goes to production. Sure. Uh, um, so there, back your data up, right. right? Like make sure that you have it in case you fail because, and I haven't looked at the numbers in a long time, but you know, years ago, it was, you know, some 70% of businesses or something like that. If you had a, an outage event that lasted more than 48 hours or something, like tons of companies just couldn't survive it. So <laughs> if, if you step away and you say, you know, we look at the CIA triad of confidentiality, integrity, and availability, like confidentiality, how do we make sure that the wrong people don't get access to the data? Integrity, how do we make sure the data stays good, whatever good means for your data? And available, how do we know that you are always going to have your data when you need your data? Yep. And you can start with those core principles and you can start layering things on. So there are common themes across them. But, you know, you dive into FedRAMP and FedRAMP's going to say, I want you to use FIPS 140-2 validated crypto modules for all data in transit and all data at rest. Whereas the SOC 2 will say, make sure you encrypt it. Uh-huh. So, so the strictness of the definition of how they want something done will change um, between the frameworks. And um, so, so that's probably one of the biggest things is, you know, some things stay fairly simple as far as the demands and they try to be a little more nimble and flexible, flexible. right? Like a SOC 2 report is based on COSO principles. There's defined criteria. You're trying to meet criteria with controls that you get to define. Yep. And then your service auditor has to be comfortable that your controls meet the criteria, that you operate your controls correctly and so on and so forth. Whereas you have other things like PCI or high trust or FedRAMP that really just tell you, do this, yep, do this thing. And in some cases, do this thing and do it this way. Right. And so that dictate, dictates kind of what the deliverables are going to look like. And that's where a lot of nuance comes in. Yeah. I mean, right. you'll get a report at the end of the day for anything, mm-hmm. but like you don't get SOC 2 certified. You just get a report. Mm-hmm. You do get ISO certified. So mm-hmm. you get a different thing. Um, you don't get FedRAMP certified. You get FedRAMP authorized. Um, so so there's there's nuance in there, but the general concepts of there's a risk. Mm-hmm. Here's how we want you to protect against that risk. Make yep. sure a third party checks that out for us and then tell us how you did. Yep. Yep. Okay, man. That's an incredible amount of information and it's really well <laughs> articulated i love it right keaton did that's you incredible. have any so keaton's yeah. just learning cyber and right. so that's kind of one of the the great things about it so feel free to come in with a question and well you asked the, you asked a question that i maybe didn't answer is how did i get to where i am yeah yeah, and, yeah. um i mean bad decisions <laughs> 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 um so too, i man. you know i went to I, I went and worked at big four um i learned a ton of things um you know it's it's the proverbial drinking from the fire hose in a lot of ways. Mm. I stepped away from that <clears throat> and said, "Do I, is this what I really want to do? Um, we moved back to Utah. I went to graduate school at the University of Utah, got a master's in business administration, um, doing the full-time program with every intent of leaving kind of IT audit and cybersecurity and leaving Utah and totally failed at both objectives. <laughs> um, and I've been in IT audit in Utah ever since. So, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I took an internal audit job at Zions Bank <clears throat> and then kind of was doing some other things there. Were you working with Mason back then? No. Was Mason back nope. then? Yeah. No, okay. I was working in a, in a different group than Mason. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, uh, kind of took a job with another professional services firm. It was the Cadence Group. They were a really small local firm. Uh, at the time I joined, I think there were 10 folks. Five of them were the partners. Um, 
and uh, <clears throat> stayed with them for eight years. The firm grew and grew and grew, and then we got acquired by Moss Adams a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I don't want to say I fell into FedRAMP, but at the time I was doing a lot of SOC reports, and we had clients that were starting to ask us, hey, my sales guy says there's a dump truck full of money with the federal government. If we can do this FedRAMP thing... Um, and so I was looking for an opportunity professionally to kind of spread my wings a little bit. Yep. <clears throat> and I would like to say I volunteered, but I was probably more voluntold to go yeah. figure that out. Mm. <clears throat> and so that's really where it started is we had you know, a couple of customers saying, hey, we want to explore this. Um, and so I kind of took it on myself to say, well, I guess we got to figure this out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm curious, um, what was the catalyst that made you like go towards uh, IT audit and all that? Because you said you were you had every you intention of leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of those uh, bad choices? So um, as I look back, you know, I was at BYU. I was in the information systems program. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like oh, uh, yeah. young and not experienced in a lot of things. But I knew that I was not a good software engineer. As much as I like it, I was not good at it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the things that attracted me to IT audit um, one, going to a big firm that gets sold really well, like come to a big firm where you will learn all the stuff and the things with all the clients sure. and the places, yeah. which is sort of true and sort of not. Um, um, it will be what you let it be. I will say that. Um, you get a lot of good feedback really quick. You do. Typically. Yeah. The volume of work you will consume is large. Yeah. And so the learning curve, like there is opportunity to learn a lot if, again, if you make it that, if you choose to consume it that way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the thing I like about what I do, so I've learned about myself a lot. Like professional services is a pretty good fit for me because I get bored. Mm. Um, so, um, so it helps me because I get to bounce around to other clients and other things and see different things in lots of different places. So that keeps my, my brain engaged. We were on a call, a proposal call this morning with a, a company who is like a regional telco um, mm -hmm. in a different part of the country. And they do some kind of, they have a unique geographic footprint. And um, so as we were looking at, they're, they're not doing FedRAMP per se, but very similar things. And as we were looking at, you know, the now 18 control families, I'm used to looking at that from a, this is a cloud tool. Mm -hmm. This is not a cloud tool. This is the guys that runs that run wires. <laughs> and so it's like, I really have to start thinking about it differently. And that's one of those things that I really like about professional services is it gives me opportunities uh, to kind of tickle my brain every once in a while, right? Like there's, there's variety in the work. Yeah. Um, and so, so that works really well for me. Um, the interesting thing about cyber in general, <clears throat> you know, we, we, I go to campuses to help with some recruiting efforts. We just had an intern and, and I want to do cybersecurity. It's like, okay, what do you think that means? <clears throat> I don't know. I want to hack stuff. Okay, I mean, that's part of cyber for sure. But there's, there's policy, there's compliance, there's audit, there's, there's a number of different things. And uh, as I found that I, I, I have a natural tendency to maybe ask awkward questions at inappropriate times. Oh, so Good. parlayed maybe really well into we an should. audit role. Like <laughs> I can ask so, people uncomfortable questions and it so, doesn't phase me at all. <laughs> so, so what are some of your, okay, man. So this is an experienced auditor. I found that my career in audit was kind of a comedy of errors sometimes because <laughs> it's just like hilarious fails. Like, so what are some of your favorites, right? Do you have any? I didn't ask this. Um, I, 
there's uh, the best stories are usually somebody else's stories. Okay. Um, well, so one, st- so um, friend of mine, I, I I'd done work at this place. This these were very far apart, separated by numerous years. Okay. <clears throat> um, different firms coincidentally ended up at the, working for this, you know, on the same client, different projects anyways. Um, but uh, they were talking through, I don't remember what it was, a configuration management item or like, how do you have this thing set in your system? And they're like, oh, it's set like this. And the, the person was like, well, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to look this other way. And the guy's like, oh, hold on a second. And he goes into the system, logs in, changes the parameter, hits submit, pushes the code. Done. And then the otter's like, now we're going to talk, talk about your change management process. <laughs> <laughs> so what you just did, yeah. <laughs> not supposed to do that that way, by the way. <laughs> That's um, funny. And I, then, I mean, other fun, fun stories that come out, you know, uh, our penetration testers usually end up having probably more fun. Yeah. And especially when they do like physical penetration tests. So, you know, it's, there, there's actual real reconnaissance. Like you go and you drive around the building and you're looking at it and you're trying to watch the people come out of the building and see where they go. So, you know, it's, hey, look, they tend to go over to that restaurant across the street. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go over to that restaurant across the street. And, you know, back, you know, way back in the day when people would go to their office every day, mm-hmm. people have their little RFID badges hanging off their belts because that's where you, what you do. And so, well, there's RFID readers that you can put in a backpack or smaller now, right? So you just go stand next to those guys. You can clone their badge. Amazing. With, you can, wow. yeah, go clone the badge. And then, you know, if you get a little picture of it with your camera phone, you can probably recreate that, put your own picture on it. It's the, you know, the resolution's not great. But yeah, then you've got a badge that lets you in the building. Yeah. Amazing. And so you just wow. walk in, beep, do the thing. Some people got caught because the, the, uh, the employees there were very socially aware. So they're like, oh, I haven't seen you before. Nice to meet you. Where are you going? Oh, I'm. Uh, I work in IT. Oh, really? So do I. I haven't met you yet. <laughs> Interesting. So the comp- yeah. So some people did that really well, but you know we we're so still able to get through. So when I look at professional services in general, I really like it because there's a lot of variety, and that tends to work really well for me personally. And then audit's super interesting because you do get, you genuinely do get to see how people do what they do yep. for lots of different places. Yep. I mean, if I look back and I say. You know, I've been at huge companies, small companies. There are consistent themes where everybody fails. Yeah, Everybody fails for the same reason. Everyone, most companies have the same problems. And so you do get good education um, in that sense. And that's where people are going to come to you because they're like, okay, well, Christian's seen a lot, right? And right. Yeah, and and exactly. not, to, not to derail the conversation, but, you know, we look at the new revision five FedRAMP parameters, and there's some things in here that may seem benign where I've seen like, hmm, that's interesting. That's going to maybe harder than it looks like it's going to be. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into that, yeah. man, because uh, everybody... So I know a lot of Paramify customers are really interested in that, right, in Rep5. So <clears throat> that'd be great to share with them some content of what they need to be uh, updated about. So you, we, we've talked... Maybe we need to get, do a brief little overview of what FedRAMP is, right, uh, for, for people who have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is most everybody, because it's like it's not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a very niche thing, right? It's a so. very niche thing. It's super hard, and it's hard, right? So maybe talk about that, and then talk about you know NIST eight hundred fifty three going from Rep four to Rep five. Sure. Know, so FedRAMP is the United States federal government cybersecurity compliance program for cloud 
systems. <clears throat> so to give a little context and background, so FISMA, the law was passed a while ago and it was revised. And FISMA says a lot of things, but out of FISMA came what is federal RMF. So that's their risk management framework. Yeah. Um, and and the, one of the things in FISMA that was really important <clears throat> is every federal agency department is responsible, accountable for making their own system security risk decisions. Mm -hmm. So even though most of us view the federal government as like this one big blob of stuff and things, um, the reality is the Department of Transportation operates like their own business that's separate and distinct from the Department of Energy. Um, so those are separate entities. They have their own people. They have their own systems and tools and processes. Mm -hmm. And so FISMA says, hey, you need to make your own security risk decisions and you can't do just what they did, right? And so if we think, if we go to the Wayback Machine and we say, oh, remember when we had Oracle sitting on hardware in a data center in my basement? <clears throat> well, if I'm implementing Oracle, it's going to be implemented different for me than it's going to be implemented for you. Mm -hmm. And so we need to think very differently about, you know, am I comfortable with the security posture of Oracle? Well, I have to worry about mine, yeah. not yours. Yeah. Um, and so what RMF does and, and, and risk management framework, again, this isn't anything crazy, really. It says, how risky is your system? I don't know. Okay, well, what data do you hold in your system? Well, I hold this data. Okay. How risky is that data? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, NIST 800-60 volumes one and two just has a library. And it says, if you hold this data type, it is, and they rate you confi against confidentiality, integrity, availability. Mm -hmm. We say, is this high, moderate, or low risk? And they have definitions for what high, moderate, and low mean. And then you just put together a matrix. So if you have 10 types of data, you're going to have 30 data points. And you go through and you say, oh, here's a, here's a moderate, moderate, low, and a low, low, moderate, and whatever else. Then you pick a high watermark. So if you have one moderate in there, the whole system is moderate. So within, within RMF, it says, okay, great. Now I know I'm a moderate risk system. What do I do now? Well, I need controls. Okay, great. Here's the controls you need. NIST tells you that. So NIST Special Publication 800-53 is just a library of controls. The current version, I think, is a 1,189 total mm -hmm. options, right? They're options is what they are. But then they give you a selection to say, if, well, if you're high, you need to do these controls. If you're moderate, you do these controls. If you're low, you do these controls. Yep. <clears throat> and then you select those, you implement those, you put together a gigantic document called a system security plan that describes how you do those things. You get those things audited and then you submit the report for authorization. So that's where FISMA says, hey, department of whatever, you need to authorize the thing. They base that on that whole cycle of documentation that gets put together around here's Here's how we do security in our system security plan. And the auditor said, we're good, bad, or ugly at these parts of it. Are you comfortable? That's really kind of the question at the end of the day. Are you good yep. with the security posture of the system or not? Yep. So that's FISMA and RMF. FedRAMP is just the version of that that has been created and applied to cloud systems. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so if you think about it, <clears throat> um, Google, AWS, Azure, Zendesk, GitHub, whatever, pick your point, pick your, pick your thing. If I'm a cloud-based tool, I'm basically the same for everybody, mm -hmm. right? Like the way the back end of that system is built and managed is the same for anybody. And mm -hmm. sure, there's some software configuration and implementation things you can do, <clears throat> but the way GitHub manages security for github.com is the same securities managed for github.com for all the github.com users. Right. It doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And so what FedRAMP did is said, hey, it doesn't really make sense to say that every time a federal entity acquires and uses GitHub, we don't want everyone auditing that. That's a bit insane. 
<clears throat> so we're going to do FedRAMP where it's going to get audited once against a standard and then that package is going to be made available to all the agencies and they can go and consume that individually to make their risk decisions. Yep. So that's why if you go to FedRAMP.gov, you look at their marketplace, you're going to see 100 million. Okay, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> um, you're going to see a lot of different agencies authorizing that. But the reality mm -hmm. is that system's been audited once. They all yep. just have a responsibility to, to authorize it for their own use themselves. Yep. So that's what so what FedRAMP does is it it's the security compliance program for cloud systems selling to the U.S. federal government. Um, so, so again, it's back to that. It's sales enablement. You want to yeah. sell to the government? This is, yeah. this is what you got to do. Do you feel like the scrutiny is getting higher and higher in terms of like what the federal government is expecting or is it? When do regulators ever back off of right. anything anywhere ever? So 100%. I do think the scrutiny is getting, well, higher. Um, in some places, yes, but I've seen some areas where things have been backed away from a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> or maybe not even backed away from, and in some cases backed away from like like the old control RA5 enhancement 8. That's out of the moderate baseline. Yes. <laughs> RA5 enhancement 8 said that if you detect a high impact vulnerability in your monthly vulnerability scans, you have to go look at your logs to see if that vulnerability has been exploited. Has been exploited. Uh. So they pulled that out. So that's actually, so in some ways they've reduced some things. The reality is I think there's about a net 15% increase in requirements. Yeah. Now, I mean, 15% is a small percent, but it's a big number. It's huge. <coughs> there's yeah. like a hundred more things. Yeah. So for moderate, know, talking yeah, about moderate. Yeah. And then for high, it's going from like 700 something to like 827. Yeah. It's right? a lot. Even more. So, so I think in some ways, is there more? Yes. Um, it's getting more specific, but if I also use my thinking brain, not my complaining, I'm annoyed brain, I have a, I have a hard time thinking there shouldn't be more scrutiny. Sure. Like yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really like holistically, do I disagree that there's more? Not really. Because what are, I mean, what are we doing? We constant, we're pushing more and more things into the cloud. We're not pulling things out of the cloud. Right. And the more the Federal Program Management Office and the Joint Authorization Board and like all the people in that ecosystem, the more I think that there is learned, there's, I think there's lessons learned that are being applied. So, so again, like, do I, I don't see things that to me go like, oh, that's really bad security practice. I don't, I don't see a lot of things where from a compliance standpoint that I would say that. Because again, like what does a compliance program have to do? Well, you kind of have to cover all the scenarios, yeah. right? Like you can't can't create a compliance program that's like, well, it's different for you and different for you because then there's no, like you need the consistency sure. to consume that, right? Sure. If the US federal government, which is massive, is gonna con consume something, it needs to be standardized and consistent and FedRAMP works to put that in that way. Yeah, well, good. So like really important things, really challenging, I think a lot of people view some of the things as like a paper paper chase, but let's talk about there's paper chase for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but right. there, I mean, but again, I hate paper chasing. But let's put it in context. There's important things. <laughs> well, you've got people that are making security risk decisions about <clears throat> federal data. Sometimes you just need a lot of paperwork to explain it all. So, is there yeah. a lot of paperwork? Yeah. Do I like that? No, but is it, do I, do I, but I get it, right? Like, I don't like, it's hard for me to say like, oh, we should tell you less about our security. It's like, mm -hmm. 
Should we? No. The, 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 one of the things that I thorough. had to think about that took a while to sink in <clears throat> is the federal government faces very different risk profiles than a lot of our other, like the other clients I've served in the past, yeah. right? Nation state risk is super, very real. Yep, absolutely. Right? And and a lot of companies, some companies do, but a lot of companies don't face the same risk profile. So, um, yeah. So we just have to remember that, right? Hundred like, percent. I was just talking to a lead in uh, a lead of the cyber warfare division of one of the groups, and. Mm-hmm. He was just talking about how any computer that is touching, I say Nipernet, he said Nippernet, but... Yeah, you're it, wrong. He's right. It's Nippernet. Nippernet. I've always said Nippernet because I always thought it said sounded cooler. <laughs> 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 I feel like I should, I don't know. So Nippernet, fine. <laughs> okay. If he's the guy that says that, he, he gets to, he wins. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, he's legit. So he's doing amazing things. And um, anyway... Uh, Everything that touches a Nibbernet like has to ATO, right? Yep. So even if it's, a, if it's a computer, so they need to be very careful yeah. about it, right? So, <clears throat> yes, you. It is really important though because if nation state gets attacks of that, like Nibbernet is connected to, like a lot of the things, a lot of the things that keep us safe. Right. Well, and <laughs> and not just that keep us safe, but then could be used in very maliciously bad ways. Absolutely. Right. So again, so. It's so, important. So that's so that's where I kind of like, I have to balance out my perspectives on, you know, oh, there's a paper trail and oh, there's a hundred million bazillion requirements. Like, well, yeah. And, and granted, we're not connecting FedRAMP to nuclear command and control systems, right? Yeah. Like that doesn't happen. But, but, the, but on the flip side, like I have to realize and remember, like this is a very different risk profile than a lot of commercial entities normally face. Right. And so we have to be cognizant and aware of that possibility and act accordingly. Yeah. Well, that's okay. So let's um, let's get through. Let's go through some of the changes for Rev Five, right? So FedRAMP is changing, and you prepared some things. So feel free, you know, like hey, yeah, we're here, like yeah. So what do you want to talk about first, right? Well, let's, so, so there's or just general. If we could, what are the big changes, right? So we have a supply chain, supply chain, you know, which that's SR our supply chain. Yeah. SR. Do things. Yeah. That's about what it says. <laughs> like, I mean, but those sure existed before, right, in, in a way, but there's just more, there's a focus on it now. Yeah. I mean, when I read those controls, it's it's a little bit like there's not a lot of specificity, right? There's a lot of like build a supply chain risk management process, then do it. <laughs> and make sure you have someone who's responsible for right. checking it. Right. Um but it, but again, if I like, if I think about it, like this is new, this is kind of hard. It's hard to think about. It's not something we've been doing, you know, like user access control. Like we've been doing user access control for a very long time. It's very right. easy to understand. Like here are the specific things that we should do, and we can iterate on the little nuances all the way along. Right. But once upon a time, access control looked like that. Have an access control policy and do it. Yeah, sure someone's responsible for it. Yeah, so so we'll probably evolve I, over time. I hundred percent believe that the SR yep. family will continue to evolve, um, and hopefully there's hopefully no. I know it will evolve. Yeah, what yeah. I'm what I'm hopeful on is that there'll be a lot of community conversation about it because yeah. I think that <clears throat> I see well, I see a lot of things. Um, yeah, you do. Not dead people. 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, I, I know that there are a lot of people within the community that just want to do the right thing, but sometimes what the, quote, right thing is isn't very well known, defined, or transparent. And so I think that the more the requirements can be transparent in front of people and searchable and findable and all that, I think that there will be higher and faster adoption rates. Now, yeah, there's always bad actors and people that are lazy and want to, you know, cut corners that I don't think you ever get rid of those. But I do see a lot of good faith effort um, <clears throat> within the, you know, SaaS provider community, within the within the FedRAMP community as a whole. I think there's a lot of people that just want to do the right thing. Yep. They just need to know what it is. When I think about supply chain, especially when it comes to cloud, I like to think of it of like, okay, so you have your first party, right? So we have like, you know, Paramify admins and everything. And then we have our second party, which are our customers. Then third party, right, which is obviously our vendors. But then fourth party, right, which is like the, the vendors of vendors and <laughs> the customers. And so that's kind of uh, I, someone, uh, Walter Haydock, had me, uh, wrote something on that. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like a good way to... Right. Yeah. There's there's right. kind of a never-ending chain of it. And then <laughs> it goes also forever. thinking about like if I'm a software developer, what software packages am I comfortable using or not comfortable using, and from from which vendors. So it's not to me. It's not just like the tools you buy, but like what are what. Uh, and, and I would also think about it in terms of um, delivery. Right. So so there's to me there's kind of two sides of it. There's the how do I protect my chain of things that I'm acquiring. But then also if I flip that around and say, well, I'm delivering, the government needs to make sure that they're acquiring in a good way. How do I know that that delivery mechanism is also secured? Sure. And good and taken care of, right? Yeah, We've and it hasn't been messed with, right, before. A large notable breach two years ago where right. that delivery mechanism was breached, which caused a lot of problems. Sure. And so I would, I would think about it not just from a, here are the things that I'm acquiring, but I, I would also think about it in terms of like, how do I deliver? Yep. Yep. Because configurations, especially with something like Active Directory, configurations become so, so important, so critical, right? Because here's software that's 40 years old, right? It, it's old and it's still the same. And, you know, I don't know when I do pen tests like years ago, like I could just install Breaking. LDAP browser, browser right. LDAP browser, and I'd be like, oh, and I, I see everything. I'm like, all. great. I have everything. That's just the way that it's it's built, right? It's built like that. And yeah. so you configuration yeah. is really, really important. Right. Yeah. So so when I yeah, so the SR family is gonna be new and interesting and I do think it will evolve. Um, and so I think there needs to be uh, again, like put in a good faith effort. Like try don't try to cut corners and think hard about right. how should we be doing this because there's a lot less specificity in there than a lot of other places. And I think that's because it's new. Yep. Um, so my hope is just that there's a good community conversation around it so that there's, I think the more that happens, the quicker the whole community will get to a good settled state yep. versus one off. Sweet. So what, what else do you got? So we got SR, we talked about that. Um, so if you look at the parameter values on, <laughs> AC20, CA3, and SA9. Okay. All three of those controls have some flavor about um, external things that you're using. Um, and so thankfully, they clarified more about what those mean. Because sometimes it gets like, okay, if I just read the NIST control, they're all kind of talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. So what do you really want me to do here? Like just, yeah. again, it's 
if you can tell me what you want me to do, we can make sure to do it. So thankfully, there was a lot of clarification put in there that helps divide out like what is relevant to which of those controls when it comes to third-party vendors. You know, one is more about access. One is more about the agreement. The other one is what's in the agreement. Um, and so there's there's better clarity there, which is actually super great and helpful because um, if if that's if those are the specifics that government consumers want, it's easier to give that to them now that it's known. When you say the the clarity that's provided, so this is like the, the supplemental guidance that goes in, and now within the parameters, there's actually more there's more information yeah, that's given so besides you, just like a little placeholder. So, yeah, so you have you, a way to look at that. If you pull down that's the nice. FedRAMP baseline guidance, they'll have like parameter values. So anywhere NIST has like a, NIST does this all the time, you know, uh, have a policy, review it on organization defined frequency. Yep. Sometimes FedRAMP will define that frequency for you. Sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. That's what the parameters are, right? So they're going to insert yep. and say, we want you to do this thing this way specifically. Yep. Sometimes they don't tell you that. But then there will also be another column where they just have additional guidance. Yep. So those two things, there's, there are new parameters in a lot of places. There is a lot of new guidance in a lot of places that clarify what's being looked for, totally. which is only going to drive consistency, right? Which is a great thing. I spent a lot of time with the product team kind of going over this, uh, it's not, not super fun going over it when you have like a deadline and everything, but I'm actually grateful for all of the, the, that, that same, uh, for the clarity that they provided, right? Because before it was just like a label, like right. organization defined and we're like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. so now we, we kind of built that in to pull in all that guidance and make it really easy to see like right in one spot. Yeah. It's, it a I mean, it used it, it's less choose your own adventure in some places than yeah. it used to be, which I, again, I think is a good thing because, um, again, it's, it, the more we know what's wanted, the easier it is to deliver that. And again, I think there's a lot of folks in the FedRAMP community that just want to do the right thing. Sometimes that thing is not super well known or defined or communicated. Sure. So these sorts of updates are really helpful for that. Yep. <clears throat> um, what else, man? CA8 Enhancement 2. Okay. It says do red team. Yeah. It doesn't say exactly that. But red get, team, but it what do you what does the red team need to do? That's unknown. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the PMO has said that there will be some additional clarity coming in around that. Um oh, good. the the right now the guidance document just points back to their pen testing guidance. So I don't know if the intent is that they should be doing internal penetration tests or if we just pulled that thing in because there were already red team-esque things that should be going on. And so we're kind of taking credit for something that was already happening. I don't know. Mm, right. <clears throat> but from what I understand, there'll be more clarity coming. So it's one of those things like you might need to start having an internal FedRAMP-like pen test done in October. I don't know when the new guidance will come out or, or when that'll be clarified. So it's, it's just so, one of those things like be like that's something to listen for because yep. it may turn quickly sure. and you might need to very rapidly say, oh, shoot, I don't have the resources to do that right now. Uh-oh. Yeah. And these guys are like well-meaning and everything. I, I, they they want to do the right thing and they're trying, they know that this has big implications when they give guidance. Um, but the problem, that's a challenge because sometimes the answer changes depending on the person you talk to on the day you talk to them. And it's, it's, I mean, they're kind of set up. It's kind of set up that way. Cause it's just so hard. It's such a hard problem. Like red team. Yeah. You have a, the, the trick is <clears throat> to give, to give the PMO and, and the whole organization a little bit of, I don't know, grace, if you will, mm -hmm. 
to get this out, yeah. you have to have the Department of Defense, General Services Administration, and Homeland Security. The the jab, I think it's the CISOs, but maybe the CIOs. I've been pretty sure it's the CISOs. From sure. those three organizations, had to all be okay with what the new Rev Five was going to be. Yeah. And I remember I was in a meeting. I think I was in a meeting with someone at the PMO, and they kind of explained it to me, like, "Well, here's what's happening. They're, yeah. you know, for lack of a better term, arm wrestling over some things. They they're trying to get to consensus. But once they're at consensus, then they got to get the the, the CISOs to consensus. And this was at the time that there were like scary spy balloons flying over the country. Yeah. I was oh, like, yeah. you know, I bet the Department of Defense has other things on their mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, it, it's easy for me to get frustrated, like, oh, give this to me now. It's been out for so long. Why aren't you done yet? But yeah. then it's like, you've got so many people that need to have input into this. It's not going to go fast. Yeah. Um, and, and then when you need additional guidance like this, it's probably not, unless the answer is obvious, the answer is probably not going to come quickly because you've got a lot of interested parties that also have, just like any of us, like priorities in the day. Sure. Right? And so- sure. So, so my point on, on the red team stuff is it's new. It mm. could mean you need a new internal pen test or not. Sure. I don't know yet. So just, it's something to watch for because it may mean, do you have an internal team that can do it? Mm -hmm. If no, you need to go get an external team to do it. <clears throat> How quickly can you do it? And do they know what to do? Yeah. Um, so just something to watch for. Cause as soon as the guidance drops, you'll need to like, you'll need to know which path you need to go down to, to get to the right place. Got it. <clears throat> so red team's expensive. Yeah. Um, CM6. This one scares me the most. Okay. Why is that? Because STIGs are harder than CIS level one. That's right. So CM6 is, you know, what, what configuration baseline do you stick to? The old guidance was you could do CIS, CIS level, level one, one, level one benchmarks. And now they're saying, no, you got to do DISA STIGs. Yep. I already know that, there are systems out there that will fail. Sure. Stigs. Well, because a lot of them are based on, you know, it's just not offered, right? Wherever you're right. hosted. <clears throat> so, well, so the guidance says you have to do STIGs first. If there's no STIG available, then you can do CIS level two. If there's no CIS level two benchmark, then you can pick your own custom benchmark. So yes, there are technology products out there where there is no like STIG or CIS hardening standard for that, in which case you can kind of pick your own. Yeah. The bigger concern I have is I think that I know that there are environments out there that if they were to go to STIGS today, their app would be done. Mm -hmm. It would stop working. Yeah. <clears throat> and wow. so those vulnerabilities are features. <laughs> it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so I'm con I, so I think there's going to be a big. I think that will be hard for sure. the for the market as a whole to adopt yeah. quickly. Well, how will they handle that if like? They just say you have know. to do it or I mean, it's a good question. Right? I, I mean, typically what I've seen is um, do the best you can poem the rest and be communicative about it. So I don't know if that'll work for the STIG situation here. But if we take, for example, like uh, FIPS 140 status uh, for Microsoft. Yeah. Right? So when NIST 856. Yeah. Did I get that right? Maybe I did. <clears throat> there's a, there's a NIST standard on key pair exchange algorithms, and that that publication uh, moved up, and some old key pair exchange algorithms were deprecated as no longer acceptable for FIPS compliance. So there were a metric truckload of um, FIPS validations that 
stopped working, like no longer validated because the key pair exchange was broken. So like Microsoft, for example, there was a moment in time, and I don't know if they're still there, they had no FIPS validated modules for server 2016. Okay. Everything is in test yeah. or, in, or in validation, Yeah. but there weren't any available. Yeah. Well, but you have to do FIPS. So what do you do? Well, I mean, the PMOs, you know, was pragmatic right. in that. And they're like, well, look, this is a known issue. Poam it, track it. This is a thing we all know about it. And there have been other instances of similar things. Yeah, in the like past. IPsec <clears throat> and uh, TL, you know, IPsec on, um, you know, with, with whatever you were using for your DNS, right? Right, yeah. You know, so so there have be been, there've been moments in the past where we've had these kind of meteoric shifts in things. And, and usually the PMO's response has been, this is known, put it on the poem, track it. But you also have to fix it. Like just because it's on your poem doesn't mean like, oh, phew, I'm off the hook, like opposite. Yeah. No, you just have a timeline now that you have to meet. Right. If you don't meet it, then... Then we're going to revoke. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk. And yeah, so, so I think Stigs will be hard. What else? Um, what else? There are two others, um, PS4. Okay, PS personnel security. For terminations. Terminations. So this is a place where I've seen, this is a corporate process. So it used mm -hmm. to be that the rule was that you had to revoke access within one day of termination. Uh -huh. Now it's four hours. Now it's four hours. Oh, wow. I saw that. So over the years of, you know, the years I've been auditing and doing these sorts of things, there's a lot of procedure in here to have that happen. Yeah. And I've seen it break so many times, usually yeah. because there's a communication issue somewhere. Yeah. And so while this is not you, like some, this could be, uh, there's technology now that makes it easy, right? Like if you have your, uh, if, if everything's under an SSO umbrella and your SSO tool is tied to your HRIS system, you can just click a button Cut it and, off. It, and it cascades, but yeah. not everybody does that. Not everybody yeah. has those things integrated that way. And so, Four hours is fast. Yeah, oh, yeah. So four hours is fast, and SSO becomes all the more important. It does. It does. Right. Um, so, um, so there's value there, but some that could be like, it's not a huge deal problem. Like, right. if you don't do that, that's not a you're going to lose your FedRAMP credentials. Got you. Or your accreditation, your authorization. Excuse me. Um, but it's one of those things like that might be harder to change. That might be a bigger problem to change than than what meets the eye. Mm. Totally. Um, the last one's SI four eighteen. Okay. So this one's new. Towards the end <clears throat> of your SSP, it basically says they they want you to do um, data exfil monitoring for covert channels. Yeah. Covert exfil. Uh, steganography is interesting and hard. Mm -hmm. Like monitoring for that is hard. <laughs> There's been some conversation that maybe steganography is not required but then i don't know what the control means yeah so i think there's a little bit of nuance in this one around like okay well normally i would think i need to be monitoring for steganography mm -hmm. right like you took a thing and slammed some data in the middle of it and now you're pushing out the door to make it look like normal traffic but it's not you getting this keaton <coughs> steganography lightly yeah yeah, you yeah. Explain <laughs> to me real quick what is steganography so stegan yeah. so you're essentially like you're trying to take a piece of data, smash it into another piece of data, make it all look like normal data that should go out the door, but you added something to it. Mm -hmm. And then as it comes out, like, so I'm gonna like, oh, you're a shipping facility and you ship boxes out every day, cool. I'm gonna hide this thing in one of your mm -hmm. normal boxes that you ship out the door on the truck. <clears throat> and then when the package gets delivered to me, I have the thing that I stole. 
Yeah. I see. So that's essentially what you're doing there is you're just trying to take data, smash it into something that looks normal, ship it out the door like a normal way, and then you can go and take your thing out. So if you're a CISSP, you had to study that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he, I like how you described it better than the book. <laughs> that was a big book. Yeah, that was a big book. Um, so, so just, yeah, you're trying to steal data okay. through, make it look like a normal channel that's coming out. So, so to me, it's to, the way I read that control and then the things I hear like, oh, well, no, we don't need you to worry about steganography. It's like, well, then what does the control mean? Yeah. Like if we're not thinking about that as the covert channel, yep. then what is the covert exfil thing that we're looking for? So again, it's one of those things like, do you want to do the right thing? Yeah, we do the right thing. What is the right thing to do here? Yeah. Because I thought it was A. A is really hard. Now we're saying maybe it's B, but I don't know what B is yet. But maybe it is <laughs> A. I don't know yet. It's kind of evolving, <clears throat> like in how, how we're going to implement it. Well, one thing I actually had, like from a FedRAMP perspective, a question for you. Um, yeah. uh, so uh, companies that are SaaS, right, that have Vulns, right, how do they need to communicate those now? Does that change with Rev5 or has it always been the same? Um, I don't think the Kanban process changes at all. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and you're talking about reporting to the government? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <clears throat> here's the vulns that are here in the, like, you know, for my SAS, right? Right. These are, these are one that you're going to be exposed to, and so you need to have a... Right, yeah. So, so the requirement has always been, well, and, and this is actually one that I think has been clarified a little bit. <clears throat> okay. You need to scan all the things. Yep. But that's... What about your VPN endpoint? What about your firewall device? Mm. <clears throat> what about your jump host? You probably should have been doing jump host anyways. If you have a jump host, you probably do. <clears throat> what, so, so you have to think more broadly. It's not just the operating systems that run production and the databases yep. that support production and the web app itself. Yep. You need to look at your boundary yep. and say, here are all the things in the boundary, including security appliances and whatnot. And all those things need to be scanned. <clears throat> and actually in RA5 Enhancement 5, they said, if you can do authenticated scanning on like your VPN endpoint, you need to do that also. So all the things, yep. and I'm an auditor, I don't like the word all, uh -huh. because all is almost never true. That's true. <clears throat> they want all the things scanned. That's true that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> all the things scanned with authentication where you can scan with authentication. Yep. Gotcha. And so the reporting mechanism, no, has not changed, and including containers like... Okay. All the things. I think what happens, right, is you have with, with low-impact SaaS, now, like, for example, it's jump hosts, it, there's, it's like a, it's over 100%, right, in terms of, like, the, the actual controls that you're going to need to implement. It, it's a huge, you know, jump for them. But, yeah, like, bastion hosts aren't, like, a thing because it's not, like, really zero trust, right, <laughs> in, in a way, right, because it kind of violates zero trust in a way, right? So Do we have to do that yet? Yeah, zero trust. Right. What's your favorite? My favorite joke, like, I don't know, I was telling people this at Black Hat. What's your favorite zero trust joke? And I said, what, you don't have one? Here's mine. <laughs> or here's my, here's my favorite. It's not really a joke. It's just like you start a relationship and you're just totally in love and you just love each other. It's just serendipity. You love each other, but you have to check each other's phones every three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's zero trust. That's zero trust. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So for the rest of the relationship. Yeah. So so I don't. I mean, to answer your question, I don't think the Kanban. The every month you got to upload your inventory, your poem, 
and your raw scans and your POAM should have everything on there that you did not fix within the 30, 90, 180 day time windows for high moderates and lows. <clears throat> if you fix a high on day 29, it doesn't go on your POAM. If it takes you to day 31, it should be on your POAM. So that part hasn't changed. Um, if, if people haven't keyed in on the container stuff, that's, it's not really new anymore. Yeah. Um, but there's some, you know, you oftentimes need different tools and different process. Yep. Because it's not just like, I ran my Qualys or Nessus scan and then I slap it in there and I move. Like, yep. there's a different way you have to think about that too. Man, there's just so much to unpack in this oh, yeah. episode. Like, this, is, we went very technical. This is absolutely by far the most like in depth that we've ever gone in security. Thanks so much. Like, yeah. so Welcome tell us a little bit about, um, uh, how, how people can learn a little bit more about you and what you're doing at Moss Adams. Um, I mean, <clears throat> you can find me on LinkedIn. You can, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't tell you everyone my email address cause then I'll get spammed. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I don't already. <clears throat> um, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, so, so we do a lot of SSP writing. We do a lot of uh, consulting work right now. The firm as a whole, we, you know, SOC reports, ISO, high trust. Um, we do CSA star. I think they're called certifications. I don't remember what it's called. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things we do. Um, we've got a, a great team of um, technical writers and, you know, we do a lot of gap assessment work and SSP writing and general kind of consulting around the space to try to help people get ready for it. We know it's not, easy. We know that it takes, um, I, I hear this a lot. Can you just send me an example yeah. of how it's written? Like, mm. yes, of course you can. <laughs> but it's not going to help you. <laughs> right. So that, you know, we try to find pretty pragmatic solutions to some of the problems, um, as far as like division of labor and who's going to do what in the program. So, um, so there's a lot of things going on. Um, <clears throat> a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, we do a lot of, you know, FISMA, basically a lot of things related to NIST 853. Cool. Um, the team knows that stuff pretty dang well, so we tend to focus a lot of our time there. Great. Christian, thanks so much. Thanks for having joining me. Joining us, yeah. Thanks so much, man. Bye.